Proton is the character name. Hold on. Blog Talk Radio. happen and today we have a pithy topic to hold 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 yourself steady this is nothing new however it is nonetheless something still shocking it's shocking that we cannot trust our priests our religious teachers coaches our neighbors and sometimes not even our own parents when it comes to child sexual abuse and therefore we have to once again breach the subject and make it very public so that children can be aware and conscious and parents can be alert as well because sexual abuse does take place and in order to discuss this in the most realistic, straightforward, and nonetheless uh, dramatic fashion is James R. Dunlap, the author of the book Millstone. Hello, James. How are you this morning? I'm fine. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for having along- us. Oh, I love having Alongside James Dunlap, we also have a former police officer, Tom Townsend. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing great, Doc. Thanks. We're hoping that Joelle Kostaik who is a representative or the Western Regional Director for SNAP, which is a survivor's network of those abused by priests. She's called away to do a press release. She makes a lot of decisions every day about what SNAP is going to be able to support and help people out with. So she may join us, but definitely she's joining us in the spirit of it all. And, James, I'm going to start with you asking you questions about your about your novel, Millstone, M-I-L-L-S-T-O-N-E, about your novel because it comes from the heart of reality and firsthand experience, and that makes it hard to write a novel such as this, does it not? It was a very cathartic experience for me, um, one that I was basically forced into by my family. Um, I had uh, milled around in my head for a couple years about the... uh, the events that took place that caught us by surprise and uh, caused great consternation in our personal lives. And then finally the decision was made, gee, you've got to do something about this. Tell the world what's going on and what they did to us. And so I set out, first of all, to write a screenplay because I was in partnership with a an entertainment attorney, and we were uh, planning on joining together to write uh, screenplays for production. So that's Mm. how it started. And uh, then I decided through, uh, through actually Tom, Tom convinced me to novelize the screenplay and tell it in book form, which I then did. And that's how the book came about. So by my family prompting me to do it and Tom steering me in the right direction, we now have the novel published. You know, it does read very much like a screenplay. It's very fast-paced. It goes from one to the next. You both create the drama and the intensity and the emotional dilemmas that the characters face. And then 
very quickly resolve that particular drama and something that moves the reader right on to the very next aspect of what they have to deal with. I appreciate so much what a fast read this was. But the topic itself is hard to digest, and I, I understand that your family wanted you to write this. Um, because of why? Can you share some of your own personal background? Yeah, I think it was basically because of their anger and frustration at what the church did to us, or did to my my oldest son, which affected their lives as well. Uh, I mean, the, what exactly abuse, the abuse is not strictly against a single individual. It uh, it ripples out to the entire family, and friends and and acquaintances. I mean, abuse goes out like the ripples of a stone hitting in a clear pond, and it, sometimes it doesn't end. Right. So uh, people who think that, oh, well, it's over, the whole abuse thing is over now, have another thing coming because it's not. It's still with us, and it's as fresh today as it ever was. So this is a, this is a human condition where, where there is an adult that has sexual urges that are not expressed in the context of marriage or a loving partnership and, and instead are expressed toward vulnerable children. And this has been with us for ever since probably mankind's been around. And you kind of bring that up in your book. You, you kind of throw us all into this kind of almost prehistoric setting. What, what was your research about how long our Well, I, I, okay. yeah, I've been very fortunate to have befriended a couple of individuals in this area who have been very helpful to me. One of them is uh, Dr. Richard Seip, who resides in San Diego, and he's known throughout the world as a preeminent uh, expert on uh, clergy sexual abuse. And I met him almost 10 years ago now when I was first starting the screenplay, and I pitched it to him, and he has been a solid encouragement to me along every step of the way and has taught me a lot concerning sexual abuse by the clergy and not only in the respect of what's happening today but in the history of the church itself, in the history of mankind. And uh, by knowing him, I also uh, came to know uh, a Dominican priest called Father Tom Doyle who mm-hmm. was probably the first one who warned the Vatican about the coming sexual abuse crisis and was ignored and, for his efforts, was castigated and drummed out of, the, of, the, mm-hmm. uh, of his order and was really hurt badly by the church because he dared to stand up against them. And through his writings and through uh, Dr. Seip's writings, I was able to understand just how long this has been going on in the church, and it's been ever since the beginning. There's there's nothing yeah. new under the sun, as they say, and yeah. this obviously is nothing new. So right. Well, you know, so as to make sure that we're fair, if fairness is important when it comes to this. There are many priests and religious teachers throughout the world in all sorts of different faiths that are very conscientious, well-meaning, and really do care to um, inspire people to have their deepest spiritual walk be as pure as possible. 
And in every religious organization, there's also individuals that are opportunistic and exploitive who are willing to manipulate children and the parents and the community so that they can go on with their sexual exploits. Um, I so, James, I really appreciate that you're willing to take the risk, and I'd like you to talk about the risk factors involved, to take the risk of, ex- of exposing everybody to this because it's only by exposure are people going to be able to save themselves from having to to this sort of thing. So what risks have happened to your family subsequent or during this time that you've decided to go forward with this and make this more public? Oh, I would say, I mean, uh, risk is, is, is a pretty heavy word, and uh, I don't want to get too involved with it, but there have been instances where uh, when this was found out that it happened to our son, and uh, that we were involved in the uh, in the whole melee of the abuse crisis uh, in this part of the country. It, it was a tendency. We saw a lot of old, what we considered friends, suddenly became very cool to us and uh, just mm-hmm. really didn't want to be friendly anymore because mm-hmm. we could be a threat to their faith, you know. Uh, most of them did not believe it. Number one, they they right. felt that it was a, a it was all phony, and that the young men were out after money and mm. revenge, mm. and and this type of thing. And that I think got me the angriest. Uh, that really made me angry, wow. knowing what my son had suffered because of the monster that he was uh, that preyed on him. Mm-hmm. And and I knew this monster personally, and uh, uh, I won't go into that too much. But uh, so yeah, there there was that aspect, and then I know that at one time the uh, archdiocese was very famous for intimidation, especially mm-hmm. to the victims and their families during this uh, what perceived settlement negotiation Mm. and at one time they sent uh, all I can call the guy is a monster man I mean it was the biggest man I've ever seen in my life came to our door and banged on my screen door one day uh, telling me that I had to give a deposition and I had to sit with him and give my side of the story which uh, mm-hmm. I'm wow. only about 5'11", and he must have been about 6'8", and weighed well over 300 pounds, and he was a mean-looking mm-hmm. guy. I found out later he was an ex-Los uh, Angeles sheriff, and they mm-hmm. had employed him to go out and intimidate people to change their stories. Who's the they in that and, sentence, uh, James? Pardon Who, me? Who's the they? Pardon? Who's the day that hired him to come out? The Los Angeles Archdiocese. Wow. Or the attorneys for representing them. I, I'm not sure which it was, but mm-hmm. our the attorney that was representing my son, I called him while the guy was there, and he put the I put him on the phone with the guy, and the guy left right after he talked to my attorney, and I never mm-hmm. saw them again, but. And he and my my attorney told me he says they he knows who the guy is, 
and uh, he was hired by the archdiocese to intimidate the victims and their families. Wow. So there's nothing really that they will stop at in order to protect their turf, if you will. Mm. Because the bottom line is the almighty dollar. I mean, that's what it's all about. You Mm. stop the money, you'll stop the abuse, you know, so... Um, it, it, other individuals who decided to uh, file suit against the Catholic Church were uh, the people filed suit against them. They were ostracized. They were threatened. The individuals caused harm to their household, um, excommunicated them from their community as well as from the church. So there's a there's a broad range of intimidation tactics, broad range of social isolation tactics. And it's interesting that intimidation and fear and isolation are also extremely common uh, for the process of grooming a child, a child for sexual abuse. So their techniques that's, are broad. That's quite true. Yeah, that's quite true. Uh, the some of, I bring out some of the techniques in the book itself, the ones that were told to me by the different victims at the time. I can, interviewed can you go, probably. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, please. I want to hear the whole story, but at the same time, can you discuss what those grooming techniques are so that parents and children can be wise, can pay attention and take heed? Well, one of their main techniques is to denigrate the parents, the family, and to build themselves up as the bringer of peace and harmony to the life of the young child. Uh, or the young person, I should say. Um, They're they're very famous for doing that. They will will sense... It's it's almost as if they have a a sense of smell for this. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure that's not the right term, but it's, it's like a wolf seeking out their prey, and they can sense fear and sense a need within the prey. And they they hop on that immediately, and they then build themselves up in the eyes of the victim or the potential victim to make them look like I'm the one that uh, can help you, and I'm the one where you can come and find solace and uh, peace from your worries or your problems. And I know that your father doesn't pay attention to you, but I will. I will always pay attention to you. And, of course, with that attention comes a, a, a very horrible price, one that I would never want to see another child have to pay. What Do you, do you believe that individuals who are sexually abused actually can recover from the trust issues, from the sexual traumas, from the visual reliving post-traumatic stress reactions, the dreams, the nightmares, the sense of uh, guilt. Since, since I don't have a doctorate in psychology, uh, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, I even hesitate about guessing in that area. I've mm-hmm. seen individuals, uh, the, certain victims who are now survivors, I've seen them take on a normal life or what appears normal to the eye anyhow and and to go on and have families and and become 
successful, if you will. And then I uh, just the other side of that coin is I've seen others who can't have a relationship because they're so scared of it. They're they're just absolutely petrified of any relationship where they can then be taken advantage of or afraid that it's it's like uh, being on a in a school ground at recess and let's say a little uh, a young child wets their pants. Well, what mm-hmm. happens is they're pointed at and giggled at and laughed at, you know. And it's mm-hmm. like it's like that Charlie Brown type of thing where you're standing out naked in the field and everybody's laughing at you. A lot of mm-hmm. victims have that aspect to them. And mm-hmm. uh, I know I ran into it head-on one time with my own son when I asked him about something that I heard from one of his fellow victims about what his perpetrator would do to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just in casual conversation, and I asked the question, and I got a reaction that I could never have expected in my life. And he turned to me with full fury in his face and said, don't ever bring that up again to me, and walked away. Wow. So wow. It, 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 it hit nerves that I did wow. not anticipate. Just to, to hear you as a parent being excluded from the horror that your son went through so you can't even comfort, you can't even completely grasp what he's gone through to know that he was alone in that process and still alone in that process. I'd love to save every parent from having to face that with their child. And so yeah. how have you as a parent, you know, managed to cope with your own nightmares about what might have happened to you? Uh, believe me, those nightmares go beyond just having it happened to my son Uh, my main nightmare and I'm finally getting to the point where I'm dealing with it and facing it facing the demon if you will is that in one respect I may have caused his abuse by an action that I took against his perpetrator Uh, and this was even before I knew about the abuse but oh, I never I met his perpetrator two or three years before he was molested. And even at the first meeting I did not like this guy or trust him. Something wow. in my head clicked and said, You watch this guy, he's bad news. Instincts. And uh yeah, my instincts just kicked in. And from that day on he and I were enemies if you will. He did not like me, nor did I like him. Wow. And in the book, I ascribe to this because my character is in the book. Oh, interesting. I I ascribe to this by my, uh, my son, actually, in his interview with the police, telling about what I did to him and what his reaction was. And uh, I live with that day to day, that my losing my temper with this guy, and he was a priest at the time, and to be honest with you, I I grew up always bowing to and respecting the priesthood and never thinking that I would ever come against a man who wore the collar. And uh, I threw all caution to the wind that day and 
grabbed this guy by the shirt, tossed him against the wall, and threatened him. Wow. And he knew that I that I meant it, and he peed his pants because of it. He was so wow. scared. Wow. But the next week, he took it out on my son. So, oh my gosh. Oh. so that was, and and I didn't find that out till years later, and I've had to live with that nightmare ever since. So. You found out from your son directly that that was a catalytic. Yeah, that was when, part when of I heard his story. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. told me of that about the time when I threatened him and and the whole bit. So mm-hmm. and he think, he he took it he took it out on my son. So one of one of the things that's always of concern is when I hear of victims of sexual abuse is that they they have a belief that they can tell no one and they must suffer alone, that they can't share with anyone the need that they have to be protected, the fear, intimidation, either because the perpetrator has threatens their family or threatens them if they do disclose or has so seduced them into believing that they are alone and that they only can trust the abuser, the the Stockholm effect, so that for any child, adult child or a, 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 a parent listening to this, be very, very aware of what you are not being told as much as you possibly can. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, they they use many different threats and intimidations. They're not afraid to. They'll start on the spiritual level. They'll play awesome. on the fact that, that that they're close to God, and uh, a, you know, and they don't learn this on their own. This doesn't just pop into their heads. There's a whole system that perpetrates this. And and feeds it even today, and it's called the seminary. Uh, wow! And now I'm going to catch the ire of the Catholics out there because, you know, they 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 hold this stuff to be sacrosanct, and the reality is that these seminaries, in most cases, are nothing but cesspools. I mean, they are they are the uh, septic tanks of the world, if you will. How is that the how word, has that been infiltrated so that we know that? How do we come to that knowledge, that information base? Basically, I think you come to it uh, by firsthand uh, knowledge from ex-seminarians and some priests who have been brave enough to speak up that mm-hmm. tell about their, the actions that happen or what what happens in the seminaries and mm-hmm. how they are groomed. And mostly they'll be groomed by their professors who are pedophiles themselves. And they're looking for young seminarians to prey on. And they then teach those young seminarians how to be good pedophiles, you know, and show them Um, the methods and, and the means. In 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 your in your novel, Millstone, you do characterize the convoluted matrix, the web of how one priest is connected to another, connected to another, that they they simultaneously encourage their sexual exploitations and abuse to children, but they also blackmail each other into shame, or they blackmail each other into, Absolutely. if you do this, I will do this. And now they're all kind of captive to this process of being child abusers, um, and, and yet you can't, Disclose it because you're going to also be 
on the it's, on the it's cutting amazing. block. It's amazing to me that um, well, first of all, one thing you brought up earlier that I wanted to respond to was. Uh, and I, I point it out in the book, and I do it through one of the victims, uh, through what they say. And that is that all the priests knew that this was going on. There's, I don't, and unless they are just newly ordained, or within the last five years, let's say, I'll give them that, that okay. most of the priests around today all knew that this abuse was going on. They're not blameless, not at all, and I hold that against them. And I, I'm not afraid to tell them right to their faces when I'm with them that I, I hold them in contempt for that aspect of not having the courage to stand up. So that's why I use a particular priest in my novel, a fictitious priest, but he's based on Father Tom Doyle, who had the courage to stand up against the Vatican on this mm. and uh, and to and to speak out about the abuse that it was wrong, you know and uh, yeah they they knew they all knew, and in their in their weaker moments, they will admit it sometimes, but very seldom they're holding this secret in right now. And so hopefully someday it will come out that, yes, they knew about it, but they did nothing. They stood by and let it happen. I think that any society, whether it is a government, um, whether it is a, a, a closed society cluster of individuals where they are not uh, exposed or not open, there's secrets, they, they keep it uninformed, they have these kind of packs, fraternities or sororities with each other that that there's always going to be the likelihood that there's going to be things of this nature cultivated because they're not under the this, this scrutiny of, of society and hopefully parts of society that really do reinforce that these things are not okay. So I think parents and children need to be aware that as soon as they walk into a closed secret society, they are at risk uh, for being exposed to individuals who are predators within that environment because it's safe predators to dwell in that type of environment. You're absolutely correct. And uh, it astounds me at times how trusting most parents are. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it's like all your inhibitions are stripped away the moment the collar shows itself. And mm -hmm. it's like uh, they have to bow and scrape at that moment. But yet in their face, you know darn well they have a mistrust but they're willing to set that aside because, oh, it's a priest. It's okay. He's okay, you know. No, he's not okay, not until he proves himself to be okay. Just so automatically assume that he's not. Uh, never, trust never is, trust. Trust is earned, not given away freely. Trust is earned. It is earned, isn't it? and sometimes that earning is very hard, mm -hmm. Yeah. And did, sometimes did you, it do you, hurts. Do you have priests coming up to you and say, thank you for exposing this, thank you for sticking with the Catholic faith and holding true to trying to clean our system out? Thank you for helping us voice things that we are either afraid to or we can't be heard because we're in the context of it. 
for, from your mouth to God's ear, boy, don't they wish that that was true. But <laughs> it's it's but not reality and not in this world. No, they, uh, they're they members of the good old boys club, no matter what. And they know that from the moment of ordination. And they're not kidding anybody. I have too many good friends who are ex-seminarians and a couple of them ex-priests. And they tell me the truth. And the truth is that once you're in the club, you're in for life. You know? Oh, my goodness. And you, you don't come against the hierarchy because they can be very savage. And uh, my main thing is not with priests. Uh, I try as much as I can to be friendly with them, to get to know them, and to try to educate them. Uh, and, And also let them know that I'm watching them every second of every day. Uh, my, My eye is on them. And that mm-hmm. makes some of them nervous, and the ones that are really nervous, I watch doubly hard. Mm-hmm. But uh, my my whole problem is with the higher what I call the hierarchy, and that's the bishops mm-hmm. and the cardinals. They're the problem with the church today, not the priests. Um, so, I, James, I'm going to ask this obvious question because it's just glaring at me. Does this go all the way up to the top? It is. It absolutely went all the way to the top with John Paul II, hmm. because uh, Father Doyle told me firsthand about his experience of discovering the abuse in the United States here, down in Louisiana, the first case that came to light back in the 80s, when he and a lawyer and uh, and a psychologist flew down to Louisiana to interview this perpetrator priest who was caught molesting kids. And they wrote their report up. And Father Doyle at the time was working for the Apostolic Nuncio for the Vatican, who was uh, the Nuncio to the United States here and was headquartered in Washington, D.C. So Father Doyle took the report to this cardinal, and uh, he's a cardinal that became very famous in the church, especially in Rome, and uh, went very high. And uh, this cardinal smiled at him, took the report, and said, thank you, I'll give it to the Holy Or He read the report, and he put Doyle on a plane to Rome and said, I want you to deliver this directly to John Paul II personally and wow. fill him in. So he did. He went to Rome. And he met with the Pope, gave him the report. The, report uh, the Pope read the report, thanked him for it. And as he was walking out the door, the Pope was throwing it in the trash can. And that oh was the God. last time that the report was ever heard of. So John Paul II covered it up. I mean, uh-huh. there's no doubt in my mind. I never liked the man, and now I know why I didn't. And so, how about the current hierarchy? What is your knowledge base in that regard i i have not mu- i don't have much knowledge of benedict but i don't think that he's pro-victim let's put it that way you know he owes his allegiance to the church and to the priesthood and he's going to protect them above all i think if that it, is if what it's I'm... a matter between a victim and a priest 
guess who loses, you know? Well, they were raised through the hierarchy, like you said. They've been trained through the same seminaries. They've developed the same fraternal, fraternal connections that everybody below them have. There's a reason why they're in that position um, that goes beyond, you know, uh, Holy Spirit inspiration that goes to the politi- politics of the connections that he's made. That would be my, my I think the Holy Spirit was left out of the equation years ago, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and it bothers me because... <laughs> that that's where they need to turn. I mean, and I even mentioned that in my book. There is an answer to mm-hmm. this, but they won't accept it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, But as far as them, and uh, I, I'm really consuming a lot of time here, and I think in my email to, to you, I told you to kick me in the head any time I start <laughs> running on and on. So but, but, you know, James, please this is feel why we free. have you on. Yeah, no, you are. You, that's why we have you on. I'm going to talk to Tom in a moment, but that's why we have you here. Is because people need to hear this from someone who's researched it, been connected, and been affected by it. This this moves it from drama to reality. This moves it from fantasy to the horror of it's right in our lap and right in our face, and that's what you bring to light. Now, in your novel Millstone, it feels action-packed and adventurous and brave and courageous and the good guy wins. Oops, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. It's really well, it's the full good, of information. Unfortunately, the good, guy, yeah, the good guy didn't win, unfortunately. And that's oh, still that's up in the air. I mean, you know, we didn't bring the Cardinal to justice yet. but uh, mm. And there's there's many stories behind that. Uh, that's the, that's think, one of the unfortunate things. Do you think that this uh, will ever become a television series, you know, like ABC or or Ted Turner? Uh, or, I think Tom of, would like to talk to that because this was intended to be a film, uh, yeah. first of all. And uh, I remember the first complete script that my partner and I did was uh, given to a casting agent, Mike Fenton, in Hollywood, and he gave it to a very prominent actress, an A-list actress in Hollywood. I won't mention her name, but she absolutely loved it and wanted the part. And uh, we we didn't have the money at the time for the budget, so she told us that whenever you get the money for this, I don't care when, Bring it back, and I will do the film. So wonderful! And she she's a big A-list actress. So and she and so wonderful. I've written the part for her. You know. Mm. Well, but, Tom. Uh, so yes. Tom, you're listening to all that James is saying here. What what's coming to your mind as as a former police officer who has investigated sexual abuse cases like this? Well, I think you know. Going back to what it was, if people can go on with their lives, you know, yeah, no, in a way, this is murder. You know, sexual abuse, child abuse is murder because you're basically going to a kid who is full of potential to be great things, and you're, in a way, murdering their soul by molesting them. Because this isn't something that they say, ah, you know, it happened when I was eight, nine, whatever, I'm good, and move on, this is something that sticks with them. And it's, you know, you're basically, some people can live normal enough lives and some people are murdered inside, you know. 
Uh-huh. Why turn to drug abuse or, you know, if this was done to me, it's okay. I can do one to others. Uh-huh. You know, so in a way, it is murder. But you know, and you also got to. Go ahead, please. But you also got to understand, you know, why this abuse continues to happen, why it's covered up. You know, in a way, you know, the collar's like a badge. You know, you don't want to upset the order of things. You know, so those people are protected because you have to keep the machine rolling. You know, because, you know, the church at the end of the day is a money-making organization. And they can't let the bad apples spoil their money-making. And then if you're using a law enforcement analogy, you know, you don't want to turn the public against you because at the end of the day, you got to keep them safe and keep it going. You don't want to lose that authority to protect and serve. Well, you're one of the good guys, Tom, right? You're one of the good guys. And yet in in, uh, James Dunlap's book, uh, Millstone, he... He even says that there are some bad apples in the police department that will enable this sort of thing to take place. How did you respond when you saw that character in James' book? Well, it's not enabling. It's, you know, I didn't like bad cops, you know, and but you can't really upset the order of things out of fear for yourself. You know, wow. you had to go along with the brotherhood or when wow. you're out on the street fighting for your life, you know, you don't want to be alone. You didn't want to be hung out to dry. So you had to go along with it. But molesting a kid is different than things that happen in the police department. You know, because once you take away the trust, it's gone for good. Mm-hmm. You know, and the church, you know, as long as you don't upset their money-making abilities, you know, they're down with it. You know, I hate to say that. I'm Catholic. But mm-hmm. I was raised with a different view of religion. You know, my religion is totally different than any other Catholic that I know of. Well, what so. would you say? I'm hearing all sorts of noise in the background there, people walking in and out. You might want to ask them to be a little quiet. So I can Shut up, it all people. Up there. <laughs> um, you know, Tom, James, what... Fear and intimidation and worry that other people are going to be harmed if you disclose information. How? What? What tools do victims have where they don't have to walk in their fear and their anxiety? Um, can you repeat that question one more time? I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there was a lot yeah. of noise going on. I could hardly hear. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah what just, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's coming from no, you. No, I'm sure it wasn't, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess let's go back, though, to the idea, like, what power or what skill set or what um, strength or tools do victims have that they need to know that they have? They can't always see themselves as a victim because if they do, they'll never get out of this horrible entanglement. So what tools do sexually abused individuals uh, what tools do parents have that will help free the children? Uh, oh, I, I got this I one. I got pretty, this one, Jim. Go ahead. Go ahead. I got this one. I got this go one, ahead. Jim. Then you can go ahead. All right. It's one word. Okay. It's one word. It's courage. Because a lot of times, and Jim can tell you, Jim's rare, and that's why I love the guy, is that a victim, they don't even have the support from their own family. So it's pretty much them 
against the world. They already know because it's been beaten into their heads by their abuser. No one will believe you. You're going to bring a lot of problems to you and your family. So just Mm -hmm. suck it up and take it. You know, Mm -hmm. but if someone has gone through this, you know, they got to have the one word, and that's courage to take Mm -hmm. everything that comes with it, to stand up and say, I will not be your beating post. Mm -hmm. And there are resources out there. And this is the reason why I had Jim turn this into a novel. This is why this story has to get told. This Mm -hmm. story needs to get into the main. The story needs, needs, has to get into the mainstream, you know, to allow the people right now that are terrified to speak out, look, there is others. You're not alone. And the more you beat us in the mainstreams, eventually they're going to have to say it's okay and become more accepting and not protect those with badges, collars, or, you know, teachers or any thug in a uniform that believes that they can do this to the people. And that's the reason behind this novel. It's not to make money. It's not to do anything other than get in the mainstream and say this is a mainstream problem. You know, have the courage to speak out. You will be protected. We will have your back. Well, who who will have their back? Because, I mean, again, James, in your book, Millstone, it, it's really just you don't necessarily know who has your back. You don't know who to trust. You don't know which police officer to trust. You don't know which priest to trust. You don't know which parent is going to be at an advocate or a blame so how do you know that someone will have your back? That's that, that's interesting that you picked up on that subtext. Uh, I didn't know if anyone would or not. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, uh, good. Lisa, good job. Lisa says I'm, I'm doing something decent. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, that's a real question. An answer is, to your question about that is another one word. It's called Google. If you're yeah, having problems, Google. go Go to Google. Find other people that are in your situation. Figure out what is it that they did. There's a lot of forums and a lot of advice out there nowadays that back in Jim's day wasn't there. Google it. Google support communities that you can go to and be amongst friends. They're there. That would be where SNAP comes into place, Joelle Costaics, where Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests comes into play. And that's on my the front of my page here. And James, what would you say would be who has your back? How do you know who has your back? Oh boy, um, <laughs> it, the, the problem. My perspective is totally different, and that's that's the problem with me in, mm-hmm. in answering your question. Because when you started your question, you had mentioned the word parents in that question, yeah. and the first first thing that came to my mind was advice to parents is uh, and as Tom used one word courage I will mm-hmm. use one word and it's called love wow manifest love in every manner that you possibly can to your children don't assume that you love your children just because they're there every day and they're going to school and you're providing for their needs their needs go beyond the material. Mm. And it's it's that, that little hug, that little kiss, that little wink, that nod, that encouragement that tells a child you are loved and, and you can trust that your parents are here with you. 
and uh, and I can understand from my in my respect, and I will I will take the blame for it that I was not an, a very attentive father. I oh, was dear. too Tough. too engaged in building my quote unquote business so mm-hmm. that we could maintain uh, eating and paying the mortgage, etc. And uh, my method of parenting was not the greatest in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it's hard for me to to say, you know, who's got their back. Today it's different. Mm-hmm. Today, in 2012, is nothing at all like it was in 1972. Okay? And that's the first time that we found out about my son and the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, we didn't know about abuse. All we knew was about a kiss. And uh, I complained to the archdiocese about that, and it started the whole cover-up, basically. But when I look at 1972 versus 2012, I look back then and I see what they and the psychologists and the psychiatrists all believed. And it was wrong. It was dead 180 degrees wrong. They thought that these perpetrators, these pedophiles, could be cured. And so they set up these institutions where they would send them. And in most cases, these institutions become became meeting grounds for pedophiles to share their methods rather than a mm. curative aspect. Mm. Uh, one of the most famous ones was in New Mexico, which it's been since shut down and done away with. But it was a horrible den of iniquity. What was the so, situation in New Mexico? What was that all about? Well, it just it just became a place where every one of the pedophile priests wanted to get transferred to for a cure, quote unquote, so that they could learn new methods of grooming. Because the other ones that were staying there, the older ones, would teach them how to groom. Hmm. And that's that's all the place was for after a while. So. I find myself feeling so grieved that 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 this is such a, an insidious substructure of what goes on in a place where spirituality and and God and and the holy. I don't think God has anything oh. to do with. Uh, unfortunately, Clearly. God had nothing to do with any of this. There was no God available, as right. far as I'm concerned. Uh, and yet here, oh. Gosh, it's grievous. It's just grievous. It is grievous, and I love your word, insidious. It describes Mm. it uh, in quite graphic detail, to me, anyhow. Uh, It is definitely insidious. Um, Have you, you you said that these characters, or many of these characters in your book, are based on real people, and yet you're not going to disclose that for a number of reasons. Do you want to share with us what some of those reasons are? Yeah, most of them are legal reasons for uh, potential lawsuits. So consequently, uh, we've changed the names to protect the innocent as well as the guilty. Uh, 
unfortunately, we have to protect the guilty, too, in this society. Are you so, in the midst of a lawsuit or are you in the midst of a case? No, 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 no not, not at all. Mm-hmm. No. So in other words, to be able to get your message out, you have to cover up enough so that they don't come back to what retaliate or intimidate you and silence you. Is that worth is that my accurate? my answer to that is bring it on. I don't care. <laughs> at at my age and, and where I'm at right now, I really don't care. Okay. I would enjoy that type of thing. It's grist for the mill for the sequel. So <laughs> mm. I don't care. Um, you know, I think that we, I think parents at this point in time need to also know that, you know, brainwashing comes in all shapes and forms. And there's lots of uh, current research that's being done on brainwashing. The more vulnerable we are to believing in someone without questioning them, the more parents train their children to not question, not challenge, not think, not oppose. The more you teach your child to be cooperative, and all the things that seem very, very good about having obedient and cooperative children may actually make them vulnerable to these type of individuals. And I, I absolutely agree with that 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about one of the only good things I did as a parent was I established that our meal times would, would be at the dining room table, not in front of a TV. Mm. And I was very insistent upon this. And at our table, I encouraged discussion, no matter how young or old you were. We had five sons. And, oh, wow, uh, lively. <laughs> in, in varying age ranges. And they were allowed to speak up and voice their own opinions. And they also knew that they would not be castigated for it. But... Uh, <laughs> It's confusing, though, isn't it? Because here you're saying your son had gone through these things and could not communicate it to you or his mom. And, well, unfortunately, and, and he, he was... his brother, too? Unfortunately, he was the first child. And, uh, yeah, okay. you know, he, he, got all, he got all of the misparenting that possibly anyone could <laughs> give. <laughs> you know? And I seriously, I mean, I know it's I know it's amusing at this point, but... And even he laughs about it today. But wow. the reality is that we made a lot of mistakes on him before we started getting our bearings. Yeah. How did his brothers react to the information? How did you change parenting after all this came out? And what was it, 1972, 1973? I, uh, by the time this came out, which was in 1995, oh, wow. they were all growing uh, and young men on their starting to go on their own in mm-hmm. life. So uh, as far as parenting is concerned, I had pretty much uh, given up that at that role at that point uh, in that respect. Obviously, I'm still a parent, and that still applies today, but mainly anger, I mean fierce anger, and, of course, a complete rejection of the church on the part of every one of them. They all just, all just basically gave the finger to the church and said, how dare you do this to my mm-hmm. brother and to our family? You know, mm-hmm. How dare you do this after how loyal we've been? Oh, wow. Uh, and so... And the, 
So it's 22 years after the incident. The brothers are finding out about this. 22 years, they're they're waking up to this, and they believed their brother. They believed him over the Catholic Church. Oh, yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I've always preached that family comes first, you know. No matter what, you you stick up for family. So so their first reaction, obviously, is to anybody comes against anybody in the family, look out. Yeah. You know, and now we go to the the issue of family because, you know, sexual abuse occurs in families. And you have a scenario very early in your book where a stepfather is a sexual and physical abuser. And you think, thankfully... I love the way you handled that moment because it helps me deal with it a lot easier in terms of a reader. But there are a lot of children that suffer at the hands of their of one of their parents or a step parent or a step sibling. That's, that's or a sibling. correct. Mm-hmm. Abuse so comes protect- in all shapes, sizes, and forms. I mean, uh, don't think it's just confined to the priesthood of the Catholic Church or to the Boy Scouts or to any of this. I, I know I've had many people, and I know that I'm going to upset a lot of Baptists now, a lot of Southern Baptists, that because of their inability to have a central uh, controlling faction in their their faith, that abuse runs rampant in many of the churches in in the world or in the United States in the Southern Baptist churches where these pastors are getting away with murder. And, yes. But because there's no central authority, the public will basically never hear about it until someone like uh, Alfred Moeller, who's the head of the Southern Baptist Conference, gets it in his head to investigate the, these complaints that are coming in. Because the Southern Baptists, uh, I think that's where the next big scandal is going to come from. Okay, makes a lot of sense. You know, Tom, you were ta- I was asking you, you know, people know that people have your back and know that uh, you can go and talk to people, you can reveal what's going on. There are people out there that care. Go to Google. I'm wondering also if with cell phones, and I got my children's cell phones very early in life, which sounds indulgent, but I did it because I wanted them to be protected. Um, because at that time we had individuals taking using their cell phones to capture teachers who were verbally abusive to students in classes and then thereby intimidating the whole class into silence. And so we finally had the eyewitness of the cell phones, and then those cell phones were compensated, and those kids were kicked out of school for using them to capture the teachers who were being inappropriate. So to what degree are cell phones now the brand-new tool to capture individuals who are being inappropriate? Are they the new... A spy in the wall uh, that will this help oh. our um, Let me be very delicate about this <laughs> in the terms of law enforcement. It, it, in All a right, way, Tom. it has been good. In a way, it has been bad, really okay. bad. Okay. Because in foreign law enforcement goes with the cell phone cameras, you're scaring the crap out of good cops out of fear of really doing their jobs, out of fear, because the media has a brilliant way of manipulating things. Oh, editing is an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And in law enforcement, now this is totally separate from the church, Mm -hmm. sometimes you 
do have to get down and dirty to, you know, to do your job. Okay. You know, because it is, you know. But, you know, you know, curbing anything, you know, yeah, cell phones can come in use, you know, but, it, you know, it's hard for me to really get it out because I'm on both sides of the fence. So. <laughs> well, let me let me speak to it. In my own experience as a psychologist, psychotherapist for 32 years, working with children, um, I've seen children, parents, these sorts of situations. I'm not the least bit uh, new to the new to the scheme of things here on that regard. And I have seen that with the advent of cell phones, that children are a lot more empowered to not have to tolerate being maltreated because they do have devices that they bring to classes where they can actually capture teachers being inappropriate or can capture their peers being bullies um, and they and that that allows us to not say well it was all in your head maybe you're exaggerating it oh it didn't really happen or you're just trying to get someone in trouble the, the child can say well okay fine argue against me but here's the video and that the videos have been shown to me in my office so that now as a therapist, I can advocate more boldly, more confidently, because I can see it. Um, and parents, they don't have to say, well, no, you must have misunderstood, or what did you do to provoke? Or Because parents can also be told, look at that video, see what you see there. Um, but that, I see a, a real difference in people's uh, victimization. But it's also in today's parenting. Back in my day, you know, if a teacher called and said, hey, your son's, you know, being a moron, acting out in class, you know, I was the one getting the belt. In today's right. age, you know, now the kid says, no, you know, it's not me, it's the teacher, then it's the teacher's fault. You know, nowadays parents are blaming things on everything but the kid. You know, and that's uh, okay. been demonstrated a million times, you There's know, is... You know, and that's the other extreme is that, you know, sometimes we stick up for our kids, you know, and it's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. Why isn't my kid doing good in school? Well, are you helping your child with their homework? Oh, no, I'm way too busy. That's your job. That's why we pay you. Well, no, you got to take a more active role in your child's life. You know, especially in inner city policing, that was a lot that we dealt with in the inner city is parents letting their kids run wild. You know, in today's age, you really got to build a, you know, rapport with your kids where you know what's going on in their lives. You know, what it, what is going on? You know, and really, you know, being a parent, you know, like Jim was back in the day, like my parents were, where they took an active life, you know, interest in my development and wasn't too busy watching TV. You know, you know, and going, you know. You voice the you voice the dilemma that parents face. So, who who do they believe? The authority that they've hired to take care, good care of their kids and raise them, the mentors, or do they believe the child? And um, and you're saying there's an error if a child if a parent believes a, a child without recognizing a child can also be manipulative. Um, I Absolutely. Think that Barbara Blaine, yeah, Barbara Blaine was the founder of SNAP. Again, SNAP is the Survivors Network of Abused by Priests. And Barbara Blaine said that she was abused from age 13 to age 19. And one of the things that the priest used to entrap her, so to speak, was that you must realize that women are always the ones that cause uh, sexual promiscuity to come up. You're the cause of why 
Um, I, I have to get aroused, so you're evil and awful, but here, let's go ahead, and because I'm such a saintly guy and you're so spiritual, we're going to consummate our our religious marriage, even though I'm a priest and you're a young girl. And so Barbara Blaine beautifully expresses that these were the mental dilemmas she was put into and brainwashed with that made her feel to blame for what went on with that Absolutely. Yeah, so now now the parent has to, do I blame the child? Do I blame the priest or the coach or the teacher? Who do I blame? Oh, my goodness. And the child may not openly say anything because they feel guilty. James, I don't know if your son felt that, too. So what do you think, Tom and James? Well, you know, you know, and that goes along the lines of rape and anything like that. It's not the victim's fault. You know, it's always the abuser. The abuser, you know, they... God, they're so good manipulators at turning things around. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like in a priesthood. What's, if you're a child molester, where's the best place to go to find kids in the church? You know, if you're a power-hungry thug that wants to beat the crap out of people, you know, go become a cop, which drowns out all the good cops and the good priests. You know, and these guys are so smart at manipulating people and turning it around to be your, the kid's fault that it's, Right, right. And James, what's your thought? Well, (laughs) I was listening to your description of those manipulations and that with the 19-year-old girl, thinking to myself in high school, why the hell didn't I have those lines? You know, my lines never worked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, James. I'm sorry, but it it was it was humorous to me. Yeah. (laughs) But. I remember okay, in, another in, topic. <laughs> yeah, another topic in Louisville at a conference, a weekend conference in 2003 uh, for LinkUp, which was used to be a, a victim support group. We were, I was in a workshop listening to uh, a, a young woman, and she was with her husband, who was uh, who had sexual relations with a priest because he convinced her to do it. And I'm going to be very honest with you, and I'm going to probably gain the ire of most females in the world, but I absolutely did not believe this woman one iota. I thought she was lying to to, to try to cover up her lust for this priest. And uh, I'm sure it does happen that there are uh, young women who are gullible enough to let these idiot priests rape as Tom says, and that's exactly what it is. But I wasn't that convinced by this young woman's uh, testimony. So So here you are, James, experienced in this whole uh, child sexual abuse and the manipulativeness of the priests, and even then you doubt this woman's story, maybe rightfully, but isn't that interesting? Now, who do we believe now that we have our own skepticisms or our own uh, presumptions about uh, people being in power, being victims, how how do we give people the the grace to believe them when they say they've been victimized, when we doubt them so strongly? Well, hopefully we send them to people like yourself who who can help them, who who are trained to help them. I'm not a trained individual and uh, I remember uh, just a quick anecdote here. 
I got a call from uh, the predecessor to Joelle and Snap. Her name was Mary Grant. One day she called me, and I was working and uh, working in my home office. And she said, "We just got a call from a young boy who lives near you, and he's in dire straits. He claims he was molested, and he needs to talk to someone right away. Can you go mm-hmm. see him?" And uh, I told her, I says, I'm not trained to do that. I wouldn't know the first thing to do. She says, well, call Richard Richard Sipe, and maybe he can help you out. That's Dr. Sipe. So I did. I called him, and he gave me a list of questions to ask and told me how to keep my mouth shut and listen and not respond and not upset him and this type of thing. And he was very good. He pretty much talked me through the the session. So I went Mm -hmm. to see him, and uh, it ended up that I took all the wrath that he had pent up for years against this priest priest who molested him, and uh, it all came out on me, and uh, it wasn't Mm -hmm. physical, it was verbal, which Mm -hmm. I really didn't care. I let it happen, and I, Mm -hmm. I remember I took Richard's advice, kept my mouth shut, and let him talk, and took Mm -hmm. notes. And then when I got home, I was so shaken up from the testimony and the the anger that was vented that Mm -hmm. I sat down and wrote a two-page synopsis of what he had told me, and I sent Mm -hmm. it to Dr. Seip. And uh, he he called me back right away and said, he needs to get in and see a psychologist as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible. And you need to get him an attorney to uh, to ground him and guide him on what to do. So we did. We got him an Wonderful. attorney. And, yeah. So there, and that, and that was through SNAP at that time, basically, mm-hmm. because they got the phone call, and it just so happened that she remembered that I was home during the day. So that's the only reason she called me, mm-hmm. and we knew each other fairly well. So. So here's an but, example uh, where Tom says that there are people that will have your back. Come out, reach out to those right. people who will have your back, right? Not, There's not plenty of them out there. You just have to know what action to take and what call to make. And it's important that they know that they can call organizations like SNAP or these other. There are plenty of other organizations out there. Mm-hmm. I, their names don't come to me at the moment, but. Uh, hopefully our website will eventually list them if it, if it doesn't already, and I think yeah, you it have, does. Yeah, yeah. Mil, let me say that to your listeners, millstonebook.com, M-I-L-L-S-T-O-N-E-B-O-O-K.com, and you do have a list of uh, resources to reach out to on yes. the right, right side of that page, so I'm really glad you did bring that up. We are talking to... Uh, James Dunlap, the author of Millstone, and really an individual passionate about revealing child sexual abuse by priests and other sources so that parents and children can come out to be freed of this sort of threat and intimidation. Um, You know, one thing that you do mention, James, in your book, and Tom maybe can speak to this as well, but the officer who was on the special uh, group of of disclosing and, and, and looking into child sexual abuse was under threat herself, both in her group as an officer, but also in the community. 
so that she had to be courageous, to quote Tom, to stand forth in her own field. She was hired to do this, and yet she's also intimidated, uh, frightened, threatened. Her family is frightened and threatened because she is doing these very investigations and trying to open up. Do you want to speak to what law officers go through in order to help out, either of you? Well, oh, I can boy. speak on the law enforcement side. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> My whole life revolved around, you know, protecting the innocent, you know, and, you know, protecting people. In fact, you know, when you'd go to people's homes, they were scared. And i say, don't worry. You have 200 pounds of highly trained cop behind you. I got your back. <laughs> you know, because, you know, they're scared, you know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, and they want to trust you and your help. There was nothing in this world that I wouldn't do. You know, my life was meaningless, you know, compared to the people that I was sworn to protect. I mean, anybody can swear in anything, just like these thugs in uniforms that have ulterior motives. Anybody can say the words, but the words really meant to me because I really, really loved to help people. And sometimes, you know, everyone's against you. I mean, there is, you know. You know, when I'm 80 years old, there will still be people in prison that I put there. And to be honest, I don't really think they like me too much, you know. <laughs> so I didn't, you don't do it for a popularity contest. And there is a lot of politics involved. Yeah, me neither. And there's a lot of politics involved when you're investigating stuff. You know, whether you're investigating corporations, you know, you had that politics. Well, this company puts this much money into taxes and they're friends with the mayor or anything. There's always politics involved and, you know, a good cop doesn't care. You know, if you want to come gun for me, bring it. If you want to, you know, fire me because I don't get along with the political system, so be it. At the end of the day, I'm going to, you know, I have to live with myself, you know. Wow, it's not easy. It's not easy standing up to a wall of abusers when they are holding hands and well fortified by money, by emotional intimidation, by shame. I mean, this this is a wall of abusers, and uh, and I I think victims feel like they're very much standing alone. I'm glad you're saying no, no. There's a wall of us that stand together and trying to reveal this and empower the victims so they don't have to stand by that. James, what would you add to that? We got your back. Don't worry about it. We got your back. Hi, I'm sorry. I, di- I didn't hear the question. Could you repeat it again? <laughs> Something the about wall. a wall? The wall of abusers stands very strong against victims, and victims are actually isolated from each other and isolated from their family. That's part of their the grooming is you isolate your victim so that they feel powerless in contrast yes. with a huge wall or formidable force of abusers. So... Now your book, and Tom is saying we've got your back, they're saying, no, no, victims, you do not have to feel like you stand alone or weak. You are empowered by the wall of people that are behind you. So, James, what would you say about that, that strong wall? Well, I I remember the day, uh, actually I remember the night that we were invited over to a couple's home in Long Beach after we first discovered in 95 that our son was actually sexually abused by this perpetrator. And we and the uh, 10 or 12 sets of parents 
were invited to this couple's home. Uh, what we had in common was all of our sons had the same abuser. Oh. And meet, meeting them and talking with them, especially oh with the mothers, was something I'll never forget. I mean, there was a lot of teary eyes there that night uh, mm-hmm. on the patio of that home. And uh, we, a couple of the victims were there as well, and they spoke. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. of them were brave enough to talk about their abuse, and that was horrendous. Uh, number one, to to wow. hear it come out, uh, you know, and be verbalized, especially in front of the mothers who all broke down and cried when they heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting a little choked up at the moment when I think about that night. Uh, oh, I am too. I'm choked and, about the uh, idea of that. But the 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 general sense was that the general sense was camaraderie and focus, all 24 or whatever amount of people, parents there, focused on one thing like a laser, get them, get them, bring them down, you know, put them in jail where he belongs. And uh, that was the, the whole aspect of that that meeting. And uh, that, that was quite something. And then in... Uh, subsequent meetings at the courts and things of that sort, a lot of the victims were always there in support in the courtroom. And at lunch, we'd sit together and talk, and I would talk with them. And uh, you'd get a sense of what the... And one of them divulged to me how the perpetrator perpetrator that molested my son would have many young boys in his gaggle, if you will. And he uh, basically had teams of like four or five that he would separate them into, but he'd never bring them all together at the same time. He would deal with them in small groups, and that's how he basically continued to manipulate and to control. And uh, that's one thing they will do. And uh, so he he had his stuff down pretty good. Uh, he really knew manipulation very well. You know, it, it's like you know, like when you're 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 set to be a police officer, you're set to be a soldier in war. You really do need to know the strategies of your enemy, so that you are astute as to what you can do to protect yourself against the enemy. These people are very well trained. I think that we need to be very well trained so we're not the victims to these individuals. You also say, James, in your book, you indicate that some of the judicial um, individuals that were there to help support the victims actually had been purchased by right. the church. Wow. That's right. I know. Well, I don't say, know, I know about the... purchased because that purchase may not be monetary. It could have been sexual. Uh, in one case, it was. Mm-hmm. But I, obviously, I can't go into that. But hopefully, someday it will come out. So it can be but, sexual, it can be blackmail, it can be... It's, it's a lot of different things. It's, it's many, many means of intimidation. But I'll never forget the words of our attorney. And it's in the book. I say it uh, blatantly that, that we're standing in the hallway waiting to go in the courtroom. And he says, my partner saw so-and-so playing golf with 
our judge this morning on the golf course. And uh, one of the people pops up and says, is that legal? He says, mm-hmm. legal, I'm sure. Ethical, no. But uh, so, wow. And we lost our motion that day. It was and, thrown and, out. And your lawyer could not recuse the uh, judge no. for that? Why not? No. No, he wouldn't dare try and do it. They, believe me, the Seriously. the the tentacles of insidiousness go far deeper than most people imagine. Uh, it's it goes all the way from Sacramento on down. I mean, it's believe me, it was, uh, and I'm talking about in a couple of years past, not present uh, situation. I'm talking so at you- the time that this book took place. So how do you how do you at nighttime how do you sleep how do you laugh how do you um... I sleep I laugh I I enjoy my life uh, I especially mm-hmm. love going to the shooting range and putting up a target and <laughs> looking at that face on the target as oh, I laugh away with my with my guns so I, I don't have any problem there I get a lot of it out of me that way. I'm not a, don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, an insightful type. I believe in, in tremendous gun safety, but I sure love to get my yayas out by doing that. So that's, a, that's a good form uh, of displacement where everybody is safe and you can displace right. your rage in a way exactly. that you're still safe, others are safe, but you are not in denial of how yeah. furious this makes you. Yeah. I, uh, to be honest with you, I'm beyond rage now. I finally got that out of my system, and thank wow. God for that, because rage can really screw you up physically. I, hmm. I didn't realize how badly it can harm your physical nature, but hmm. since making peace with these things and taking a look at the spiritual aspects of my life and what are my beliefs and where do I put my faith now? And I know where my faith is now, and it's not in a hierarchy or a bishop or a cardinal or even a priest. It never will be ever again in my life. Hmm. I will never trust any of them. I may be their friends, and I had a lot of friends that were priests Hmm. at that time, Hmm. and Hmm. a couple of bishops that were friends, and one cardinal that was a friend of mine. Hmm. And uh, only one of those people apologized to me for for the church. And <gasps> there were one. tears in his eyes when he did, so I accepted wow. the apology. Yeah. How difficult would it be for any of these people to apologize to you in private? Not, not oh, difficult exactly. at all. Yeah, oh, that's right. just astonishing. Exactly. And yet they um, wouldn't. And one of them who was, uh, and he's in the book in the beginning. Uh, he was one of the young priests at the parish where my son was molested, and he was a good, really good friend of mine. And we, uh, he transferred to many other parishes and then eventually became a bishop. And uh, just uh, before his elevation to a bishop, I saw him at a gathering in our, in our old parish, and uh, he came up to me and uh, patted me on the shoulder, and I turned around. And he gave me a big hug, and and we talked for a few minutes. And he told me about his being elevated to a bishop, 
and I congratulated him, and I thought, wow, that's really great, so-and-so. You know, I'm glad to hear that. And, uh, of course, I found out later why he did, why he got it, and it was no great spiritual thing that caused him to be a bishop. It was oh, my a God, payoff. did you just close that? Or, oh, yeah. oh, dear. Yeah, it was, it was a payoff for him doing a favor for the cardinal in L.A., and mm. got a bishopric from it. So, But the minute I told him about the abuse of my son, his whole face just turned to stone, and that was the oh, end yeah. of our conversation, and he never spoke to me again that night. Oh, my so goodness. So it, it was like I'm the enemy now. So. so it didn't turn to grief. It turned to... Uh-oh, no, it I'm turned to be careful. Watch this guy. It, it didn't turn into I oh I've got to help this we've got to get oh my not gosh, at that all is... they never they never think of that no wow nope wow it just is it's something protect to... protect the code protect the network protect the good old boy club yeah. so we recently had a, a a case that came to the the eyes just recently where this uh, gentleman Alex. Alexander R. Richard was babysitting six children and now has 49 counts of child sexual abuse held against him, and that just occurred within the last couple of days. We could go on a very long list of current child sexual abuse events that are taking place that do get onto Google, as Tom says, and at the same time, a lot of events that don't dare go there because people are too afraid to talk. So those of you that are not afraid to talk, please help help communicate and help shout out. Now, James, there are other authors that have been predecessors to you, Jason Berry, for example. Um, some priests have come out and written books that have talked about this very blatantly. How do you feel your book dovetails with what they have also tried to disclose? Uh, I wished I had a quick answer for that, but all I can say is I wrote what I perceived to be the truth of our story as we lived mm-hmm. through it. And uh, if there are lessons in there, then I pray that those lessons will fall upon ears that are ready to hear them and see them and help individuals to either deal with their abuse or to prevent their abuse, mm-hmm. uh, whichever the case may be. And I hope it's prevention mm-hmm. more than deal with because mm-hmm. if you're dealing with it, it's already happened, and that's a crime. And so I don't is, mean crime mm-hmm. in the legal sense. I mean a crime in a horrible sense. So go ahead. You are uh, launching a sexual abuse awareness week next week, is that correct? And your book is a part of that sexual abuse awareness week. Tell us more about that. Well, I think Tom can speak to that uh, better than I can be. He and, uh, and Gregory Banks are behind that. Joel is working it's, with them on that. It's actually one day. It's November 26th. Okay. And uh, if you're listening to this after November 26th, you know the mission's still going to stay the same. On November 26th, we're all coming together to buy a copy of the book with the intentions mm-hmm. of raising some money for the victims, which is most important, but also you know, going back to Google and all this other stuff. In today's day and world, to get in the mainstream, you know, to get acceptance in a way, you need a bestseller. 
you know, because well, that's said. in mm-hmm. today's age, that's what kids relate to is media. Mm-hmm. So on November 26th, you know, go to millstonebook.com and read what the event's about and go over to Facebook and, you know, get a copy of the book or 50 and uh, really join in and learn from people and, you know, you know, help, you know, help get this out there. The more the story is told, the more people are going to start, you know, paying attention, the more education and awareness is going to get raised. You know, you're really going to take power away from the manipulators. You know, mm-hmm. you know, education is a good way to curb this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if our children are aware that these things happen, you know, like we try to teach our kids you know, the, about drugs and anything, anything to better educate and raise an awareness. And we're using this book as a tool. And we need everybody to really support the book, whether it's on November 26th or December the 5th. Please, let's get this book in the mainstream. This book is such an easy read. It is so fast-paced. It's not easy from the standpoint of what it contains. It is easy from the standpoint that you're led swiftly down the path of what's going on with everybody involved, and you will be transposed from your everyday existence into feeling quite passionate, quite uh, quite activated, your courage will be uh, turned on as well. key to those of you that are experiencing sexual abuse in all ways, shapes, and forms, or any sort of abuse and intimidation. James R. Downlap book, Millstone, is at millstonebook.com. You can also, the Facebook is Millstone, the novel, and that's Facebook. And you can order this on Amazon, is that correct as well? Yes, that's and correct. Can I mention that the title is a little more than just Millstone? It's actually Millstone Sexual Abuse Cover. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Sexual Abuse Betrayal and Cover Up by the Catholic Church. Right. I'm going to see if I can find it right on your your blog yeah, here in terms of actually seeing the. The, the the picture of the front of the book is on my on my site, so you can immediately tie into that. But you will you will be able to find it by going on Millstone. Now, what is this about Millstone on John and Ken? And you even include the radio personalities in your book as well. What what what? How are John and Ken ardent supporters of you and what your message is? They, uh, we, I was the well when the news of this the arrest of the, our perpetrator was uh came out back in nineteen ninety five or yeah ninety five uh they broke the news on their program and they uh got a monsignor from the archdiocese to come on and respond to the allegations being made about him and I was listening to their program that day while I was editing some videos. And I I listened to this guy, and he was lying through his teeth because I mm-hmm. knew the truth. So I I faxed John and Ken the show. Uh, actually, Ray uh, Lopez, their producer, and told them this guy is lying to you. I know the truth. Call me. And mm-hmm. sure enough, in ten minutes they called me and put me on the air with this priest this Monsignor, and I called him a liar to his face, and John stepped in and said, 
you didn't really mean to call him a liar, right? You just said that maybe it might not be true. And I said, yeah, yeah, you're right. It just might not be true. He says, okay. <laughs> so about two hmm. weeks later, I had lunch with John and Ken, and he reminded me and said, I saved you that day <laughs> from a lawsuit. <laughs> so, and I've known them ever since, and they have been supportive of this whole project. And uh, so they knew they were going to, they knew, of course, they were in the film because I had written them in. And hmm. uh, the, my director and myself had met with them a couple times to at their studios to tell them what we would be doing. So I've known them since 95, and uh, they have been consistent in their support of the victims of sexual abuse. I also and, know uh, that Phil Donahue was a big supporter of getting this out as well. Are there other personalities that you can say that are really advocating this uh, openly? Well, I know that Oprah is very big on abuse. And, uh, mm-hmm. of course, she no longer has her show, but uh, she has her own network now. I don't know how that's mm-hmm. going. But, uh, and there are others, uh, such as I remember Tim Robbins, when he won the Academy Award for Mystic River, uh, gave a gave a shout-out to the abuse victims and uh, that we need to support them. And I called his publicist the day after, and they didn't want anything to do with it. So I wanted wanted to try to get a statement, and they said, no, we won't give any statements. Mm. So unfortunately, Mm. that didn't pan out. You are bold and persistent, aren't you, James? Pardon? You are bold and persistent, and I get the impression that Tom has pushed you as well, so therefore you work as a team, don't you? Yeah, we do. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, he's been a very big supporter. He's got my back, if you will. Okay. Wonderful. He really does have my back, and uh, I'm terribly appreciative of that. Of that. Uh, if In it hadn't closing. been for him, this would have never happened. So. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Thank you for pushing Thank you. Us, for continuing to push it. Okay, we are about. Somebody's got to gotta stand up to the thugs. We're about to close, and therefore, what would you like to say to the victims? What would you like to say to the perpetrators? What would you like to say to the parents or the adults that are there to help the victims? To the victims, yeah, we definitely have your back, and uh, we empathize and love you, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wide open if you want to contact me anytime. I'm sure that my contact information is on Dr. Francis' website. To the perpetrators, watch your back. Mm. Because I've got my eyes on you. Mm. And and we know who some of you are. Mm. To the parents, be very, very careful. Don't ever trust anyone, no matter who they are, until they've earned that trust in your eyes mm-hmm. and then still be careful okay. Vic- okay. Um, I'd like to say something to the victims we got your back mm-hmm. we're here if you need us go and google mm-hmm. find people to help you we got your back mm-hmm. to the perpetrators <laughs> we're coming for you 
Dogs, you can't hide. We're coming for you. Do the parents take more of vested interest in your kids? Listen to them. Teach them. Spend more time with them. Let them know that you have their back. Don't leave it up to society to raise your kids. Don't blame it on the teachers. Don't blame it on anybody. Take a vested interest in your children. It's a difficult topic and trying to find out what the truth is in any given situation because we're so able to lie about whether we're victims or whether we're perpetrators. Truth is hard to find out. But if your children are out there crying or showing signs of depression, angst, uh, reduced capacity to function the way they used to, withdrawal, moving away from you, oversensitivity, I could go on with a long list of symptoms. You be aware that that child may have been exposed to something that frightens them and makes them withdraw. And it's you that needs to help them come out safely, comfortably, and there are a group of us here to help. Um, So, Tom, how do people get in touch with you? James, how do people get in touch with you? Just go to millstonebook.com and you can find us. And my my email is moveprod, M-O-V-P-R-O-D, at roadrunner.com. You're free to email me at any time. That's not an empty. That's not an empty statement. That's a that's a gift from his heart. He knows that is yes. That is. I mean that. Uh, yeah. I'm in this for the long haul. Thank you so so much from everybody and to those listening. I thank you for listening. Please pass this program on to those you know who need to hear it. Both perpetrator and victim and the parents that love them. Love those victims. Okay, I thank you so much, Tom, for joining me. James, I thank you so much for writing this book. Tom, I thank you for encouraging him. And I look forward to seeing this book becoming a number one seller, and I can't wait to buy my movie ticket. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you very we'll much, Carol. Right on. Bye-bye. This is, bye-bye. This is Dr. Carol Francis on Make Life Happen. I thank you for joining me on this very important essentially important topic, which is don't be a victim, know what the enemy is up to so you can steer clear or get help. Talk to you later. Until next time. Dr. Carol Francis, I'll talk to you soon.